Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 102 with Andrew Hermelin. You're going to hear some pretty cool stories from a guy who's been collecting letters and business cards from CEOs and founders since he was a kid, and it's pretty cool. So you're going to learn one, key lessons repeated among 500 letters from CEOs, two, how to change I don't know from a negative to a positive, and three, Effective Approaches for Mentor Relationship Building. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep102. And while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of the cool stuff we have from the 10 Days to Winning at Work free email course to my training programs to my gold nugget email summaries, which get the wisdom of the guests distilled in a quick email you can read in under two minutes. So check out the goods over at awesomeatyourjob.com. So here is a quick bit about Andrew. Andrew is a founding member of 2U and a head of university partnership and corporate development there. He is uniquely good at relationship management and has had the quirky hobby of writing letters to CEOs and collecting their letters back and business cards since childhood. In fact, it was through that hobby that he got his first job at 2U as an undergraduate college student. His personal motto is hashtag hustle. Here's Andrew. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. Happy to be here. Well, you have a really unique hobby I want to hear all about, writing letters to CEOs and collecting business cards. How did this start and what's the backstory here? Sure. So I was a weird kid growing up. When I was nine years old, I started going to work with my grandfather, who is 90 years old, celebrated his 90th birthday this past summer, and started going to work with him. He's the CEO of a small defense contractor that builds equipment for the U.S. Navy. And I started going to work with him. It's a small business, about 45 employees, and walked around to everyone and asked for their title and asked for a business card so that I could remember their name, but also what they did. And I started going to work with him on all my sort of school breaks and then decided, you know what? I want to learn more about other businesses, about larger businesses, and started then developing this idea that I wanted to be a CEO when I grew up. I was looking at my grandfather and said, you know what? It's a cool job, and I want to do that. So I started writing letters to CEOs of the biggest companies I can think of, you know, Merrill Lynch and Citigroup and General Motors and Disney and Starbucks and Toys R Us, sending letters to the CEOs asking for a signed business card and an annual report. And pretty basic letter, you know, it was typed up and I started off by saying, I'm Andrew Hermelin. I'm nine years old and interested in your company and, you know, read a couple of articles about you. And so started writing all these letters and didn't necessarily think about, you know, the responses I'd get. But growing up at that age, it was always really cool to come home from school and get a whole bunch of mail. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, right, I started getting all of these responses back from all of these letters. And, you know, almost all of them responded. No kidding. Yep. A vast majority, in fact, responded to something. Yeah. You know, honestly, pretty much all of them. Now, I actually never got a note back that said, no. I'm not going to send you a business card and no, not an annual mm -hmm. report. I either got a note back or didn't hear from them right? or, you know, no response. And so 
I got all these really neat letters back and some of them, you know, really thoughtful responses telling me about how they got started and what they studied in school and, you know, advice and, you know, it always included a signed business card and an annual report. And as I wrote all these letters and got all these great responses back, I just kept writing and writing and writing because it got to a point where it was both fun to build this collection of business cards as all my friends were collecting baseball cards. And as you know, you probably remember right back then, you know, we're going back, you know, almost 20 years, annual reports, you know, companies spent a lot of money on annual reports. Oh, right. They're right? snazzy and yeah. glossy and imprinted. <laughs> right, right. Hard covers and, you know, pictures and all that. And it was actually really fun to look at all of them. And, you know, one of the saddest things for me, you know, as I continue to do this is they just got progressively worse, uh -huh. you know, just it, then we got paper and no images and all that. So anyway, I started writing all these letters, kept writing and writing, got a ton of just incredible responses back and really continued writing to CEOs and executives from all different companies and industries, you know, really throughout my teenage years. Oh, that is so cool and fascinating. And it just seems like there's a book there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty easily. I want to know how big did the collection get in total in terms of number of cards? You know, I probably have in nice books about 500. Oh, cool. You know, CEO cards or, you know, executive cards. That's right. So it's like, you know, you're doing about as well as Fortune Magazine then. So right. <laughs> in terms of who's included. That's cool. You know, it's also that, you know, at nine, you know, I was yeah. one of the earliest subscribers to Fortune Magazine and the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, still today, you know, read them as they come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, I'd love to hear it. Boy, this, maybe this is a whole other podcast episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we can go here a little bit. So what were some of the key themes that you picked up from these folks? So they're hyper successful in their careers yeah. and they're thinking reflectively on, you know, should I tell a young person who's interested in that? And I'd like to hear a few things that seem to come up over and over again there. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that the letters evolved into was, you know, on all my breaks, there was a point at which I was old enough and thought, you know what, I'd really like to meet them in person. And so, you know, I stayed in touch with all those that I wrote and scheduled meetings with them. So got into meet, you know, well over three or 400 wow. CEOs and execs, you know, through my teenage years. And I'd go with my grandfather as a CEO, he's sort of my chaperone. <laughs> my parents were both teachers and loved what I was doing, but my grandfather was with me. And so that's where I really sort of went in and had a list of questions that I love to ask. And it was, you know, some really great meetings. So the things that I feel like, you know, for me today, I look at as themes, right? You know, one of the questions I always like to ask was, you know, for them, what's the most important leadership quality, right, to have in business? And it was pretty fascinating. Most of them had, you know, very similar responses. They all said, you know, you need to have trust, right? Your partners and your employees have to believe that you're competent and honest as a leader and you need to have passion. You know, you need to have humility. One person I remember says, you know, as Walt Disney once said, it's good to have failure early in life, right? It makes you humble and determined. And so that always came up, right? That great leadership is all about, you know, managing people and resources and communicating well, you know, so those were really common themes, right? Trust and passion and so forth. You know, the other thing I also found really interesting is you talk about management styles and you talk about sort of management philosophies, right? How do all of these leaders operate? And also, again, some similarities, you know, some would say that what they want to look for in those who they surround themselves with are smart and kind, hardworking people, less worried about experience and specific areas of expertise and more along the lines of, you know, are you, again, passionate and are you, you know, hardworking and driven? 
you know, so that word passion would frequently come up, right? Using good judgment and being accessible to employees and being happy and sane. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And so I'm curious to hear, did you get any advice that was just sort of like shocking or counterintuitive or like, huh? you know, because I mean, that sounds like, you know, tried and true wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. of the ages that you're sharing there, which absolutely is real and true and helpful. I'm wondering, is there anything you heard that make you go, really? But yeah. you found out it was dead on later in life. Yeah. You know, the one thing that surprised me, you know, and this again was my early teens. So way before college is, you know, you read articles and growing up, I always thought, you know what, you had to go to college and major in finance. You had a major in accounting, you had a major in engineering to get a job, you know, and if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be successful. But what was fascinating is when, you know, I'd ask these individuals, you know, what their advice would be on choosing a college major or ask them what they studied. The vast majority of them said, follow your heart, you know, that your college major and what you study is not important and doesn't matter too much. And, you know, that you should be doing something that, you know, you're interested in and passionate about and take, you know, sort of your undergrad education as a way to explore things that maybe would take you out of your comfort zone, right? And then perhaps go to graduate school and get formal training in whatever area you'd like to go into. And that actually really did surprise me, Mm -hmm. you know, that they encouraged me to do what I found interesting, right? Don't worry about, you know, whether it leads to a job or successful career. And I thought the other thing that they said, which I was a little bit surprised by was all of them, you know, for the most part would encourage me to take risks early. And the feeling there was, you know, because it's, you know, later in life where you draw upon a range of experiences that are often hard to take, you know, later on. And so they can all point to, you know, risks that they took early on that really led them to have successful careers. So those would be the two pieces that would come to mind. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. So, well, now it seems like you've taken some risks along the way in order to, you know, move so quickly to your current professional role. So you're there and it seems like you got there pretty fast. Can you give us a little bit of a context for where are you now and how'd you get there so fast? Sure. You know, where I am, my particular role with 2U is I'm our executive vice president for strategic partnerships. And so my job is to, you know, focus on building relationships and partnerships, you know, and driving growth for the company with university partners. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, taking the early experience I had in life, meeting with successful individuals and networking and developing relationships. And really doing the same thing today with faculty and deans and provosts and university presidents. And so I've been able to, you know, lean on a lot of what I learned early in life to get me to where I am today. That's great. That's great. So, all right, executive vice president and can you refresh us? I'll be rude. What's your age? 28. That's good. That is good. Got married last year. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I got married a few weeks ago. (laughs) Congrats to you. That's good stuff. So, all right. So now I'd love to hear. So what you're currently doing is a lot of networking and relationship building stuff. And I think there are many listeners who are pretty ambitious, motivated, driven. They kind of would love to see themselves with a cool range of influence and responsibilities quickly. So what do you think are some of the things that made the difference for you to get to a quick ascent there? I believe it's very important to network and seek out a mentor and to be a mentor. And, you know, for me, I enjoy 
mentoring others. I love when people reach out and ask me for advice and ask me, you know, questions. And for me, it's kind of a little bit of a role reversal, right? Because I had done that and still do today with a lot of the folks that I met and wrote letters to and network with. And so for me, you know, really important is sort of the networking aspect. You know, I've benefited from my mentors in such meaningful ways. You know, so I think one, it's sort of you're developing and expanding a social and professional network and being really thoughtful about that. You know, so that's one thing. You know, for me too, it's all about confidence, right? Being confident, you know, for me, it's being confident in my ability to be driven and to do the things that I want to do and be able to accomplish those. You know, I don't hold myself back. And, you know, if I feel ready, you know, I'm going to take on a bigger challenge or, you know, ask for more to do. And therefore, what I've seen in my early career is consistently taking on more responsibility. I think that's all how we grow. During my time at 2U, I've made it a practice of volunteering to take on the tough assignments. Now, 2U for me is you know, I've been with the company from day one. And so it's the only company I've truly worked for during college. And then of course, post-college, you know, the other thing I'd say is for me, it's leaning on experiences that I've had sharing those with others, but at the same time throughout that taking note of the things that I want to personally improve on. And so it's not only just taking on the tough assignments for me that has gotten me to progress you know, throughout my time here, but it's also sort of surrounding myself with individuals who are guiding me and driving me and, and are passionate and sharing the same interests and are there to lean on for questions, right? I mean, one of the things someone told me early on in my life is that, you know, if you're not saying I don't know often, you're probably not doing much. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That might be the featured quote of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, you know, I, I, and I say that to my team all the time. You know, I want you to say, I don't know. I want you to be comfortable saying that. For me, I do that often and I'm not afraid to do that. And, you know, therefore I'm learning new things every day by saying that. Okay, great. So when you say leaning on experiences, you don't mean leaning on your own experiences as a means of building your confidence, but rather you recognize, I don't have this experience, but I know I'm close to people who do. And therefore you have that confidence to go into some territory where you may well be a bit clueless and freaked out, but you know that you've got some resources to go to. That's right. And I have no fear of saying again, you know what, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? (laughs) Or, you know, please explain that. And yes, I mean, for me, I also know that, you know, again, to you is where I've been and what I know really well, but there's a whole lot else out there that, you know, I'm learning from on a daily basis. Now, I want to go deep, if I may, into your brain and mindset there. So. You said you have no fear whatsoever with regard to having to say, you know, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I think many people might find that terrifying. Like (laughs) I am in over my head. I don't belong in this meeting. I am red faced. I'm getting hot. I'm getting embarrassed. Ah, Freak out mode. (laughs) And that doesn't even trouble or phase you. I mean, I got to know why. So what is it that gives you the superpower? It's a couple of things. I mean, I can honestly say, you know, I almost enjoy being in uncomfortable situations. Okay. You know, I, in some ways sort of thrive on them and we all deal with uncomfortable and awkward moments probably on a daily basis, right? In some way, you know, for me at a young age, relatively young age, you know, I've learned that life is very precious and, you know, life is short. And for me, you know, one of my mantras, if you will, is don't ever be afraid to ask, right? And don't ever be afraid to push yourself or to push others if when appropriate. And so for me, you know, that was sort of instilled in me at a very young age. 
for me, it really, you know, I think for me started with my family, you know, it's had a biggest impact on me. I told you, you know, I mentioned my parents are both lifelong educators, both retired now, but they instilled a set of values in me that provided the sort of a foundation to build upon throughout my career. And for me, if you have good values, right, they help you make the proper decisions when difficult decisions have to be made, right? Or when you're in uncomfortable situations. So for me, it's always saying, you know what, it doesn't hurt to ask the worst you get is a no, or the worst you get is not a response. And you know what? You move on, right? You learn from it and you move on. And I say that to myself often. Mm. Okay. That's really good. So, you know, it's life is precious. So the Mm -hmm. time is scarce and short. So, you know, go after it. And that, I guess I'm thinking a little bit about the meaning you assign to, I don't know. I think that seems to be the difference is that many Mm -hmm. people assign, I don't know to, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm ill-equipped. I should have done my homework. I've screwed something up. Mm Mm-hmm. And you assign the meaning to, I don't know, to we're going into some interesting territory in which we're learning and growing. And this is fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I don't know. Being able to say that is both not easy, as you've said, but in my opinion, is a positive and not a negative. Mm -hmm. Okay. Understood. Well, that's fantastic. And I also wanted to hear, you know, when it comes to confidence, I imagine there are probably times in most professional lives there are where you feel not so confident. You feel like, uh-oh, this isn't looking so good here. I really am in a tight spot or I'm about to screw up or fail, etc. What sorts of things do you say to yourself or things do you do to get back to that centered, strong place where you're rocking rolling with the typical Andrew confidence? Yeah, you know, it certainly can point to cases where that's been. I think where I learn from those experiences where, you know, I kind of pick myself up and get out of those is by, you know, surrounding myself with individuals who will help sort of guide me in the right direction and who will offer, you know, both sort of advice and wisdom and can have sort of an honest, open conversation as to, you know, what a particular issue is and how to go about solving it. You know, one of the things that I encourage on my team and feel like it's something that carries through the entire organization here at 2U is sort of being thoughtful in really all that we do. And that's a very broad statement, right? But what I mean by that is don't be quick to act, right? Think about the second, third, fourth order effects of a decision that's being made today, right? And so for me, it's, you know, putting everything into perspective, right? I feel like I say that a lot and maybe, you know, my wife, Sarah, will tell me I say it too much, but, you know, it's, let's put it into perspective, right? This isn't brain surgery, right? This isn't the end of the world. You know, the world's not gonna end tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And let's figure out how to make, you know, the best of what's been given us. And, you know, that I think is a lesson that I learned, but, you know, as you know, right, Pete, it's not just in your work, right? It's in life, right? That's sort of a life piece, right? Life statement. Oh, that's so true. And that reminds me one time, it was one of my very first cases at Bain when I was doing consulting there. I was screwing up. I was in over my head. There was a lot of intense demands that required some late nights that I wasn't uh, doing such a great job. I was making little mistakes on short timelines where those little mistakes became visible and kind of made us look dumb <laughs> as a team. So, you know, wasn't a shining couple of weeks of my career. And I remember Brett... He was so awesome. He looked at the work and we had a chat, a little catch up once things calmed down. And he said, well, you know, it's just work. (laughs) So I was like, oh man, he's not saying this isn't bad because it's bad, but he's saying it's just work. And it's true. Yeah. Because the way I think about it in a lot of professional jobs, and this kind of helps calm me down is that, you know, no matter how bad you screw up many professional jobs, you know, nobody's going to die. 
And that's not true of folks who work in the military or police or, you know, transportation, you know, trains and planes or medicine. Like there are numerous careers where if you screw up, people will die. And so if you're working in sort of finance or some kind of other role, you know, education, training, et cetera, if you screw up real bad, it'll be embarrassing. It'll be a waste of people's money and time and resources, but no one dies. And that I find has been a helpful touch point whenever I start getting a little anxious about how things are going. Completely, right? You live and learn. (laughs) And speaking of perspective, so you've got a personal motto, hashtag hustle, which is fun. (laughs) And so I'd like to hear when it comes to perspective about how much hustle is too much hustle, you know, in terms of, I see that, you know, work is what is really fun and interesting. It's energizing and you can just pour more and more and more of yourself into it. So now, you know, you're married and such. How do you think about working? I don't want to say the word balance, but I will balance (laughs) the hustle and the quick progression and making things happen with, you know, personal care of the rest of life and making it work out okay for your health and the well-being of those you care about. Yeah, use the word balance, right? When someone says, so, you know, how do you think about work-life balance, right? My answer is always, you know, I don't think about it. And it's not that I don't believe in work-life balance, but for me, I don't think about it because I really love what I'm doing at work. I love the energy. I love the people. I just love everything about what we're doing. And, you know, therefore the hustle and, you know, whether it's too little or too much, but let's, you know, go all out, right? Let's just do as much as you can. You know, I don't think about it. And, you know, how I balance that with, you know, outside of work when I leave the office is, you know, Sarah is, you know, an amazing partner. You know, we met in college, both went to Lehigh University, you know, been together for technically, I guess, six years or so, known each other longer, got married last year. And just having a a great partnership and, you know, sort of the home front. Now, you know, we're newlyweds, so it's important to be around, right? And I travel a great deal for work. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll go back to saying you putting all of this in a perspective. For me, I don't think, you know, it's not a question of whether it's too much hustle because I'm fortunate enough to, again, love what I'm doing and therefore don't need to think about it all that much. That's great. Well, so that oh, just a quick follow up. Do you have any rules, standards, guidelines, protocols in terms of like leaving at a particular hour or, mm-hmm. you know, not looking at email during dinner or, or like yeah. any, any key, <laughs> key rules that you follow such that you don't have to think about it because they're just things you follow? I certainly take advantage of time when Sarah and I are sort of on the weekends and so forth, you know, I'm really not on email unless there's something big coming up. But yeah, I mean, sort of weekends, I'm always around. And, you know, at night when Sarah and I are together, I do my best to discipline myself to not have the phone next to me. You know, we're out on vacation. I will leave the cell phone in the room so that I'm not tempted to look at it in any way. And it's not easy to do that. But when I do it, I feel great. You know, the other thing I'll say is I really do love waking up very, very early. I feel like the time between, you know, let's call it 5 or 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., I can accomplish so much. And I love that feeling when I'm accomplishing a great deal before I feel like anyone else has started to work, right? right? So I'll take advantage of those times as well. You know, I'll also say sort of a habit of mine is, is I love running. I love to run. And so I'll make sure I discipline myself to run and use that as sort of an outlet both for keeping active and healthy and so forth, but also, you know, breaking up the week a little bit. Okay. Yes. So now I want to talk just very briefly about the particulars of your role when it comes to partnership and development in terms of your quick tips on growing relationships effectively, as well as in moments in which you're trying to be extra influential or persuasive, you know, what you do such that 
you are indeed easy to say yes to? I think it's pretty simple. The way I think about that is we're all people, right? Whether it's Wall Street or, you know, Main Street or whatever it is, right? It's all people. And remembering that, you know, we're all living lives and we all have, you know, a lot of things going on. And so when I think about that and remind myself of that, it becomes a conversation, right? It becomes a getting to know you. It becomes developing a relationship. You know, now having said all of that, my approach is always, you know, being very honest, being very direct and transparent and being very confident. And so when going into a, you know, particular meeting, you know, I want to know that I am well-versed on any and all questions that I may get right now at this point, you know, I sort of anticipate the questions, right. And the concerns that will come up in work, but being able to develop a very, very strong relationship that's built on trust, I think is the key to success. Okay. Very good. And any, okay. I think maybe it's on my mind because I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, Dr. Robert Cialdini and the six Mm -hmm. weapons of influence. And he just wrote (laughs) another book, which I was reading on my honeymoon. It was that good. Oh, neat. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Called persuasion, but I hope to get him on the show soon. So I'd like to hear, I mean, that sounds great, you know, trust and relationship building and knowing that we're people and, you know, there's not sort of magical unicorn superstar and and keeping grounded there. That's great. I'd also like to hear if there are any particular words, phrases, or do's, don'ts that you kind of keep in mind when you're engaged in some sales or persuasive activity, like in particular and specific tactical stuff. One of the things is when you're being asked a question and you don't know the answer, what do you say? You say, I don't know. I've actually used that quite a bit, not just internally, but externally. And I'd rather say that and then go get an informed answer and be great in follow-up versus saying something that I don't have complete confidence in. Mm -hmm. You know, the second thing in all of this is, you know, I always think about follow-up. Follow-up is key. I think a lot of people are not great at it. You know, so it's knowing how to follow up appropriately and then therefore developing a relationship when, you know, you're not in front of the person all the time, right? I mean, today is, you know, how to manage communication both on phone and email. So follow-up is always key. You know, the other thing for me is, you know, it's developing a relationship and starting out, you know, a conversation in a meeting that doesn't just dive in right to the work Mm -hmm. or right to the specific topic that you're talking about. I love the interaction with people. That's where, you know, I get most excited about. It's the relationship building. It's getting to know them. It's getting to know their interests, you know, and really it's becoming sort of a lifelong learner, right? And as part of that for me, I like to ask them questions about, you know, their successes and their aspirations. And, you know, so I think for me, one of the tips is, you know, you want to infuse in any conversation, you know, my particular role with faculty and deans and provosts and presidents, a level of discussion that's not directly tied to, you know, what we're going to talk about, which is online education, right? It's what's some of the research that you've done? What are some of the books that you've read recently that you found interesting? And so, you know, you got to bring that personal element, in my opinion, to make it all real. Perfect. Well, thank you. And so tell me any final things you want to make sure we cover before we hear about some of your favorite things. The one thing I thought of coming on this, Pete, was so, you know, I told you about writing all those letters to CEOs. Well, I did this thing, you know, my grandfather, you know, he came with me to all these CEOs and to all these meetings. And I finally like, you know what, I'm going to write my grandfather a letter pretending that, you know, I'm not his grandson and I'm going to write him a letter as I would any other CEO. And I'd like to see how he responds. And so I did this when I was in my early teens again. And He said two things to me that will always stick with me. He says, people who have long reaching dreams given proper balance in their life always become successful. And he mentioned 
Oscar Hammerstein wrote words to a song, Happy Talk in South Pacific, where he says, you have to have a dream because if you don't have a dream, how are you ever going to have a dream come true? And my grandfather says, so true. And that will stick with me because it's sort of something that has kept me both motivated and excited to continue to follow what I learned at nine, which is, you know, I want to be a CEO and have a great deal of impact and have an amazing team and, you know, mentor others. And so, you know, I sort of end with that Peach. This is something that, you know, special for me that he shared that with me. Mm, brilliant. Thank you. Well, so now could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote? Sure. One of my yearbook quotes, actually, the quote is by Roberto Clemente. And he says, anytime you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world and you don't, then you're wasting your time on earth. Okay. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or piece of research? This one's difficult for me. I read almost too much. And I find that sometimes they all sort of blur together. You know, my studies are largely around companies that I find fascinating. So, you know, a couple of years ago, there's, you know, study around Starbucks and, you know, when Howard Schultz stepped down and then they brought him back to sort of, you know, reinvent everything that they were doing, right? So reading case studies on how companies have done, you know, complete turnarounds. The other thing I like, you know, I love reading studies on how companies both on the consumer side, you know, on the research side and, you know, even some of the defense contractors, how they've grown as companies in this sort of digital age, right? So how companies are evolving so quickly with social media and, you know, Twitter and, you know, how companies like Gap are organizing themselves around customer service relative to, you know, tweets and things like that. So no specific study, but I think the digital age piece and how companies have really turned themselves around, I love reading and find fascinating. Mm. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? I, you know, childhood favorite book still today. I have it at my desk. It's Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Oh, that's so great. Well, (laughs) our guest number 100, Topper Steinman, Uh my uncle and a mentor to me. Sometimes that is his keynote speech is just reading that book slowly, (laughs) dramatically and well with some peppered in insertion. (laughs) And it's good. And you walk away like, yep, that's good. That's a good speech. That's good. I might use that. Take it away. You know, you know, he reads something and he points out, oh yeah, you'll see some of this in customer service (laughs) analytics, won't you? Yeah, you will. (laughs) So that's good. And how about a favorite tool or whether that's a piece of software, a gadget, or just product you like to use? Yeah, you know, I've, uh, you know, because of my travel, I've actually several months ago got on the iPad Pro, the smaller version that they came out with, not that gigantic thing and the, the smaller one and have really disciplined myself to use that over a laptop and love it for travel, love it as a tool. So, you know, I guess I'd say iPad Pro. All right, super. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's been really useful? Yeah, you know, I'd say two things on the sort of routine front. I mentioned running. I love to run, but I also love taking, I take a ton of notes. I can't remember a lot of things if, you know, with all the things going on. So I write in journals all the time. All right, cool. Thank you. And now I want to follow up with that. Do you have a particular system for segmenting all of the notes and journals and things you're collecting such that you can readily find it later? Is it designated notebooks for different topics or color coding or how does it work? Yeah, that's a great thing. So I've turned on to this amazing company called Shinola. I don't know if you know Shinola. They're in Detroit. American made and it's awesome. So they make these awesome journals. I give them out as gifts a lot of the times. And so yes, color coded based on work, you know, personal and sort of other and travel with them. Okay, very good. So does that mean you have two with you in your bag for work and personal? Yes. Okay. Yep, two. That's good. Thank you. 
And how about a key sort of nugget or thing that you share that seems to really get your teammates or folks that you're presenting to kind of nodding their heads in agreement with, yes, what you've just said, Andrew, is so smart. <laughs> you know, I think they all nod when I use the word hustle. You know, okay. you said it before. That's my <laughs> motto. I use it in emails. And they all understand what it means when it comes to me. So I'd say my nugget is hustle. Okay. And what would you say is the best way for folks to get in touch with you if they want to learn more and see what you're up to? You know, I, some people say I'm old school when I say email. Email is always best, but I've gotten really big on Instagram. I actually love Instagram, but email is best. So Andrew at 2u.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. Just the first name. That's so hip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you get into a company early enough and I guess you get to get that. That's right. And even the name is Andrew. It's extra cool <laughs> as opposed to, you know, one of a kind. Right. <laughs> Super. And would you have a final challenge or call to action you would issue to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah. You know, it's something that I was told by a close mentor of mine and I'll share it. It's, you know, mentor your strengths and surround yourself with people that will help you with your weaknesses is a challenge that I like to share. Mm, That's great. Thank you. Well, Andrew, this has been a real treat. I love how we've covered your childhood to now and collected lots of useful pieces along the way. So we really appreciate you taking the time and I just wish you and to you tons of luck with what you're up to there. Thanks for having me, Pete. Well, I really love the way he framed the I don't know as an indicator that you're growing and learning and entering into new places and being challenged as opposed to you're lame or a loser or you're in over your head and ill-equipped and should be freaking out. So I think that is super handy. Hope that resonated with you. And so again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep102. And I would encourage you to push the subscribe button if you haven't already. So you don't miss guests like our next one, Chris McGough. He has a fascinating book called The Primes, How Any Group Can Solve Any Problem. And he talks about universal patterns that we can identify and apply in all sorts of different experiences, environments, groups of people to have an extra level of perspective and wisdom and see what's really going on there. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 